This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Vocal Perspective. We have another new segment of the acapella community that we're talking to today. We're talking to Joe Celine. She is a Sweet Adelines member in Olympia Chorus and Soundwave Quartet, and she's also a member of the Sweet Adelines Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to have you. We have a lot to talk about today. There's a lot going on. But before we get into that, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of an idea of how you got involved in acapella and barbershop? Sure. Been in choir all my life. I've always been a choir nerd. I had an amazing middle school and high school choir teacher who really tried to bring in a bunch of other influencers in other types of music we had. So people come in who were doing opera locally and to talk to us about that. And one of the guests was were some people from the local Sweet Adelines chapter. And they were actually looking for my choir, um, which was co-ed, my middle school choir, to be guests on their annual show. And we learned a song in acapella in barbershop and we sang it on their show and then never heard from them again. And I don't think <laughs> I don't think anybody else in the choir was upset about that except for me, but I loved it. And uh, a few months later, my mom saw an ad in the paper for their membership drive. At that time, Sweet Online was doing the four free vocal lessons membership drive, which I still think is one of the best ways to get new members through the door. I think it's a an amazing marketing tactic and it worked on me and my mom saw this and said hey this is the same group that you sang with in your choir and I said great you know I'm in and I was 14 at the time and so I went to the four free vocal lessons and joined and that's how I got in. (laughs) So from there presumably you're you're a couple years past 14 at this point. Um, <laughs> I, I, that was over half my life ago. <laughs> I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about your experience in Sweet Adelines and your specific chorus and quartet since the time that you joined. Yeah, I've been in a lot of chorus. I've been in six different choruses in the same region. I grew up in North Idaho, and then I moved over to Olympia to go to college in 2008 and never left. So when I moved to Olympia to go to college, I joined the Olympia Chorus and several years later started quartetting. And I've loved every chorus I've been in for a while. I was a dual member with Spirit of Spokane and I went to Calgary International and competed with them there. That was a great experience. And I've been in an open division chorus, Song of Seattle in Seattle or Bellevue, which is directed by Paula Davis and loved that chorus. Just amazing experience there. And the whole time I've been in Olympia. Does that Uh, actually answer your question? Yeah, Yeah, totally. So moving on from there, you've clearly been very heavily involved in Sweet Adelines for quite some time. And now you are a member of the Diversity and Inclusion Task Force, which has become a very hot topic across all of the barbershop organizations and and across a lot of the acapella community at large. What drew you to get involved at that level? Well, so I've, I've had leadership positions in Olympia Chorus and in Region 13 here as well. And I have loved all of those experiences. And so I was kind of, I had experience being on, on leadership teams and trying to make differences that way. And when the opportunity came up to join this 
task force, I was all over it. And I didn't at the time really understand what the task force was doing. And I'm not sure that Sweet Online's as a whole really knows what they're doing either. This task force and maybe among other things, but what I know of it and what I'm primarily involved in is creating a toolkit for choruses to use to develop diversity and inclusion practices and also grow their membership inclusively. And so we are working on developing this toolkit and part of that is developing an evaluation tool for song choices, which is, which has come, it was in place that we wanted to do this before Sweet Online's made the announcement about banning racist songs and, and incorporating consequences for when groups do sing racist songs or songs with racist histories. But it's really gotten fast-tracked since that statement was made. As <laughs> Absolutely. <you can> imagine. <laughs> so this song evaluation tool is really cool because you'll be able to plug any song into it and it prompts you through questions that you then do the research about, you know, who is the lyricist? Who is the composer of this song? What were the historical and cultural systems like when this song was written? And, you know, was it for a movie? And what was that movie about? And is that where it's primarily known? Or is there some other context for it? So it's a really cool, more in-depth look at how we choose music and what we do <laughs> with the music we choose and how we can make better choices with that. So that's one of the things that the task force is doing as part of this toolkit. And more broadly, it's also identified some choruses in the organization who are piloting this toolkit. So they are taking parts of the toolkit and using them in real time and then delivering feedback back to the task force so that we can make changes on the toolkit and improve it. That's awesome. And it, it's accountability and it's tangible change, which I think is really important right now because we could easily just get into conversations and, you know, empty talk. But this actually forces people to consider their choices and educate themselves and others around them, which I applaud. Rachel and I brought up, this is new to our listeners that have listened to the last couple episodes, but we brought up the near upheaval that we're seeing in Sweet Adelines over the last several weeks, which seems to be, I know this conversation has been going on a very long time, but there was a petition started. You were an adamant vocal supporter of this and, and helped share it and get it widespread. And I, I think it was you that I found out about it and was made aware that it was happening. And it was comforting to see so many people out there supporting it and taking action and starting groups and being more vocal in the groups that already existed. But it was also really disheartening to see the pushback against it. Maybe we can move into talking about some of the work that we still have to do in barbershop. Yeah. So I learned this after Sweet Online's made their statement, but apparently this was kind of in the works for a very long time, years. And it's easy to look at that and say, oh, it was motivated by, you know, what's happening in the world, specifically in the United States. And this is a reaction to all of that upheaval. But it really was put in place years ago or or so the IBOD has said. And so it's also easy to look at that and say, well, you know, why didn't we get this sooner? And only the IBOD knows, of course. But yeah, it's just one of many facets, many layers of the work we have to do. And I like to look at that because Sweet Online's is a learning organization. They are driven by education. It's in their mission and vision. And I think it was put there as a way to educate people about 
about barbershop and acapella, but really, I don't think you can have barbershop education without having some education about membership as well. And we cannot sustain these organizations if we don't pay more attention to who is making up the organizations, who is actually joining and who isn't joining, maybe more importantly, who are we leaving out and who is left on the doorstep of our rehearsals that may not see themselves represented on our risers, may not feel themselves represented in our lyrics, just may not be comfortable with what we've been putting out there historically whether that's music or, you know, visually what people see of and recognize as Sweet on Lines or what it is. Maybe we don't know what all the barriers are, but there are a lot of factors that go into intersectional activism, the way we think about including members as we strive to grow our barbershop organizations. You know, you had mentioned something before that I, I wanted to kind of come back to, which was related to that there was pushback, at least to some degree, because this was a response to my, what might be going on contemporaneously in the United States at this time. And I wonder, you know, why does that matter in terms of like whether or not this was in place for a long time or if it's in reaction to something that's going on in the moment? Does Do you think it matters either way? I don't. I think any change is good when it comes and there will be catalysts that move things ahead faster. And for some of us, it can never be fast enough. And for others, it will always be too fast. And that's why I just think we need to have the conversations more openly because so many of these topics just haven't been talked about for years or decades or the entire lifetime of Sweet Analyze. And that is why when these changes happen, they take some people by surprise. And I think the shock of that is really what feeds into the resistance a lot of times. And if we just start having the conversations and start that education process early and often now, it's never too early, then we can we can kind of mitigate some of that shock. And then the change won't seem so scary. Do you think in terms of having that conversation, how do you recommend that people who might be new to thinking about that conversation get started? Where can we all start looking to help understand better the concerns and, and how to maybe in a growth mindset approach this change? That's a great question. One of the topics in this toolkit that the task force is putting together is about having those conversations and how to get started because it's really tricky and I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all approach for every chorus. But I do think that these conversations won't happen over Facebook. <laughs> I mean, they are happening over Facebook and it's great <laughs> because it makes them visual and and it gives people, you know, it's a Facebook and social media are great ways of sharing resources because there are just there's so much information out there and now that it's becoming more visual, you know, there are infographics, there are videos, there are articles, there's there's everything you could possibly imagine and social media is a great way of sharing that. So I don't discount that, but I do think that first and foremost, the conversations that have to be had need to be intimate. People have to be able to feel vulnerable and they have to be able to make change internally and not have that process broadcast out over Facebook, over social media, over the internet. It's a really, really personal process 
And I think, you know, you can call it white fragility, you can call it just whatever you want, but it's this resistance to change or just comfort that many of us have been living in for so long. And, and there is a process of when that feels threatened, we tend to shut down. And I'm talking about this because I have kind of a background in mental health. I'm pursuing a graduate degree in psychology. And so this is where I go with it. It's, Mm -hmm. it is truly a fight, flight, freeze response because when we feel that our beliefs are not valued or are not heard or are some way threatened, then we respond with defensiveness or shame or argumentation or just we shut down and we don't allow the conversations to continue. So that's why I think that when the conversations do happen, they need to be happening inside choruses, you know, with people who already know each other, They can see one another's hearts. They know that intent is good. And then you can start to move through the really uncomfortable process of confronting some of our biases and the reasons that our doors aren't or haven't been open to people of color, to LGBTQIA people, to people of lower socioeconomic statuses who who aren't able to join because they can't pay dues. All of these people who may be shut out for various reasons. Yeah, you bring up a good point of having the conversations and making them more intimate. Because yes, on social media, while you know, we've all learned a lot of things, some good, some bad on on Facebook chats and groups and and just information shared. It's also become kind of a a mudslinging event of you don't agree with me, so you're wrong. And you know, some of some of the opinions are very outdated, coming across as very racist. And a lot of the opinions are, you know, I'm just not going to listen to this anymore, or I'm going to pack up my stuff and leave. And I You know, I'm afraid that by just telling these people that don't share the idea that we should be moving into a post-racial, like, let's acknowledge our past and get rid of glorifying things that aren't so pretty. I don't think it's solving the problem. It maybe we're kicking them out or forcing them out of of an organization that we're a part of, but their beliefs still exist. And I'm wondering if there's a better way that we can be approaching all of that. Absolutely. For me, it goes back to education. I think I don't know the vast majority. Personally, I don't know the vast majority of people in barbershop Facebook groups, but obviously people do. (laughs) And a lot of the people who know them don't think they're lost causes. You know, I definitely don't think that broadly we're trying to force out anybody who doesn't agree with us. I just don't, I don't think that's true. I think everybody's teachable. We're here because we like to learn. And for some people that started out being about the music, but it has to shift and it will shift into recognizing what is important to our membership because that's what facilitates inclusive growth. Yeah. I think to your point about, about the personal connection is a really important aspect that we need to f- focus on and that sometimes I, I, I believe that people may not have the right words and are afraid of how the words that they do have might be perceived and so they don't say anything. I think in a safer environment, they might be willing to express their, their thoughts and their beliefs in ways that might be like, quote unquote, less pretty. 
with people they trust so that those conversations can be had and engaged in. Absolutely. And trust is a really interesting point because we think of that as trusting one another. But a lot of times when you have marginalized people in a chorus, I'll use myself as an example. I'm queer. And so I might not trust everybody to recognize that I'm queer or to factor that into a conversation. And so that feels really scary to me. However, I can have a conversation where I trust the environment and I trust the process. So I think that we, we often, that's one of the reasons that we avoid these conversations is, well, I'm not sure I trust everybody in this room. But if you can, if you can kind of get beyond that and if you can trust the process and trust how these conversations are happening and that the goal is inclusive growth because we are all, I think, united in that. We want to see these organizations succeed. We want future generations to enjoy barbershop and to have a place on the risers to sing barbershop. And so if we're united in that, then we can kind of trust that that's where this is all moving. And even if somebody says something that feels like an attack, the process is that we're moving beyond that and, and we can all unite in the growth mindset. Yeah. What do you think should happen in terms of, I mean, I know that, that this is something that Sweet Adelines is, is discussing and, or has discussed in terms of competition with these various songs that maybe aren't, are considered racist or have issues with their backgrounds and histories. Do you think those, I mean, I understand that we, we don't want to compete with those songs, but what do you think should happen to those songs from a sort of recognition of that they existed. Do we wipe them from the map? Like, like how, what should we do about those songs that they even existed at all? Oh, that's interesting. Well, so part of me says, you know, I'm white. I have no, I don't think I should really have a say in what happens to these songs. I think that it's really up to people whose ancestors and who generations of their lineage have been affected by these songs and by what's represented in these songs. I think those people get to decide where they belong. And, mm. and I also think it's important to remember that, you know, just because these songs will no longer have a place on the barbershop stage, it doesn't mean that they're going to go away. You know, there are a lot of organizations out there. There are a lot of groups that are dedicated to the preservation of this type of music. And just because no new recordings might be made of these songs doesn't mean they won't exist. And if it means that maybe we create a virtual library where those, where past recordings are available and accessible, and you get to celebrate past quartets or choruses that maybe celebrate is not the right word, but you get to acknowledge the groups that maybe were African-American or just had some place in that history, that, that that stays and that that endures. But that doesn't mean they need to live on currently. And it also means that just because they're erased from barbershop doesn't mean they'll be really erased from the face of the earth. Very true. I mean, I think we're seeing that globally, too, as everyone's arguing back and forth about statues and plaques and anything else that commemorates things. And it's there is a difference between glorifying and acknowledging and recognizing. I wish we could get there faster. But like, as you said, previously, like it's a process. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I think it's really fascinating how the barbershop world kind of becomes this microcosm and our racist songs are the country's Confederate statues, you know, and we just have these little parallels that we get to kind of work out on our personal level in in the barbershop world. I was just going to say, I wonder what lessons we as a bigger society might be able to learn from this smaller microcosm, right? Like, are there ways that we do it right, or maybe less right, that we learn from to apply to a broader quote-unquote audience. Yeah, I've wondered that too, and I don't let my myself get very far down that path because I find it very overwhelming. <laughs> and I just kind of, I like focusing on this platform, you know, it feels really personal to me and intimate and feels manageable to some extent. I can wrap my brain around the issues we are facing and the changes we want to make. And on a more, on a broader country, nationwide, global scale, I can't really go there. But that's a good point if thinking about it in a, in a way that you feel like you do have a, a way to affect change or to, to make a difference or to, to be involved that feels manageable for you. I think it's really important. I think we've got a lot of people struggling with that, like, okay, how do I change the world? And I think it does. It starts at home. It starts with the things that you are familiar with, where you do have a little bit of, you know, you have the ability, you have the power, you have the resources to enact change. Exactly. And that's the article I wrote, which was um, on Medium, it's time for barbershop choruses to become vocally anti-racist. That article came out of that because it was I was seeing all these corporations and businesses talk about how they were embarking on anti-racism and I thought now wait a minute my my chorus is an entity why why aren't we having this conversation why isn't this something that we can talk about especially given the history of barbershop as a as a music and as an as various organizations let's talk about this let's let's especially take a stand because now is the time to be vocal about it and so that article came out of those conversations with my own Horace's management team. Yeah. And for our listeners that may have not seen it yet, we will link to it in the show notes. So make sure you do go check it out. It's, it's a lot to think about, but I think it's important that we do. Absolutely. So as we wrap up our time, Joe, are there other things that you think that we should focus on or, or do in the upcoming days and weeks as we address these issues? Yeah, I I just want to say I am <laughs> I'm kind of new on this scene in the barbershop world and uh I'm very passionate and I continue to be I hope to continue to be very vocal in these communities, but I am by no means the first person to be talking about this and I I just want to point back to some resources and some people who are just groundbreaking and of course the first one is Halo Quartet their series of race and real talk is incredible i have i'm signed up for the september course and i'm really excited about it but i already know that the work they're doing is pretty groundbreaking and very impactful and i think it should be required for any barbershopper just to contextualize this art form that we love and we want to continue so Halo and Shana Oshiro. Yeah, yeah, they're associated with my chorus and in Harmony Inc. So I'm 
I love them and we support everything that they do. And for listeners that might be new to the program, if you go all the way back to episode 10, I think it was 10, we actually interviewed Shauna. So you can stay right here and learn more about it, but you should definitely check them out. Yeah, I was just going to say, and, and Shauna had a had an episode with you all. And that was <laughs> that was last year. So, you know, it's not, this is not a new movement. These are not new thoughts at all. And she, uh, this week or the in the next few weeks, she and Chris Rimple have a couple classes through Harmony University through BHS. And so if you have the means to check that out, that's awesome. David Wright has done a couple lectures. I think there's one on YouTube specifically contextualizing barbershop music and how it started and just sort of the evolution of its roots through today. So I would, I would point to all of those people and and then just the many, many resources that are circu- circulating around right now. A lot of attention is being paid to anti-racism, which is awesome. And I think that going back to intersectionality, we can start to also weave in conversations about LGBTQIA issues and a lot of other issues that we we think are kind of on the fringe in Sweet Lines, but are actually really, really integral to who we are and what we do. So I'm talking like fat phobia. There's a, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a oh my goodness, lot that thread. <laughs> of that going on in cultures across the gender spectrum, BHS, SAI, and we can talk about all-in-ones, we can talk about, you know, how the showmanship category looks at costume fit, you know, I think all of these things really should be put under a microscope. I think it's time, and, and it all relates back, you know, it's not taking focus, I don't think, off of anti-racism work, it's really weaving in all of these intersectional identities that our members have, and more importantly, that our prospective members have. And so looking at these issues are is going to help us become the chapters that people seek out. Absolutely. I'm sitting here like shaking my head. Unfortunately, we've turned off the videos, but I'm just shaking my head to myself. (laughs) Well, Joe, I I can't think of a better way for us to end with that hopeful note towards the future. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and to share your insights and ideas. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. That was Joe Celine. All right. So Rachel, that was a really great conversation we just had with Joe. And I want to tie it in. So we're going to go across from barbershop into contemporary. And there was a post in the CASA forum about community not supporting each other enough and maybe putting too much effort on idols or the famous quote unquote people. So to tie that in, I want to talk maybe about hone in on what Joe talked about and the intimacy of a one-on-one conversation. Yeah, I think the person who posted that on Casa had some really good points, I think. And there was a bit of mixed, in my opinion, sort of response by different members to that. And it caused some really interesting conversations. I agree that those conversations sometimes are best had face to face or maybe virtually face to face, if right. not. Uh, <laughs> uh, face to face. I miss those. <laughs> but I think that, I mean, it definitely sparked a really interesting conversation. And one of the things I really appreciated about it was I thought that people approached it with a fairly open ear. Yes. And I don't know if that was how she stated it or just that people were receptive to hearing given a lot of the conversations that have been going on about being (laughs) open to criticisms that people are putting out there. But I mean, I think that it really prompted some internal looking by people who were sort of charged with 
the accusation. Yeah. Well, and for people that want to go on to the CASA for it's the CASA Facebook group. And it was Diana Galliano Shari, who is a friend of mine. So I'm going to shout her out for bringing up this conversation. So if you want to go and look, you can look that up. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot to it. Yes, as a community, we do need to be more collectively supportive, I think. I mean, how much effort does it take as you're scrolling to just click like? I think a lot of people, especially people that are new at this, they get excited when you click like. I mean, it doesn't mean much, but it just shows them that you saw it and that you appreciate that they put out the work and they were brave enough to put it out there in front of people. And especially if you have a more well-known name in the community, I mean, how good does it feel like for someone to see Deke Sharon to click on, you know, like on one of your videos? That's, you know, there's more importance there to someone's self-esteem than I think we give credit to. But then, you know, we got into if you really do want legitimate feedback or advice or someone to show you how to do something, most of the people in the acapella community are happy to help. And if it's something small, they're usually happy to give you some of their time for free. It's not even something that would cost you money. So I think sometimes people get a little intimidated. And I think we've talked about this before, but like we're all just people. And I am aware that, you know, I have a name and Acaville as a whole has a name. And people get a little intimidated because they see me posting about everything else. But, you know, if I have a minute, (laughs) I will give it to you. And most of the people that have worked really long in this community are the same. I know you've had very similar experiences. Absolutely. Look at the names that we've had on the show. Like we reach out to people that are way, you know, more accomplished and they're happy to come on and talk to us. Absolutely. I think too that this idea of trying to make connection and getting maybe more substantive feedback or information is, uh, while I think it can be daunting, absolutely, to reach out to people who you admire and look up to and, you know, maybe think of as more, as you put it, accomplished than you are. Uh, We're all people. And (laughs) I I really think that reaching out to someone one-on-one is an opportunity for you to make that connection that will then ultimately put your name as a, like a, I don't know, get, get you more exposure in terms of just in general, like just making that connection is the opportunity, I think, to rise above the feeling that Diana was saying that they felt that she felt overlooked. Yes. So if there's any lesson from this little segment, reach out. The worst they can say is no. So take the chance. More than likely, you'll get a little help. And that's all we have for this week. We'll see you next Tuesday.